This podcast is for informational purposes only and does not constitute legal, tax, investment, financial, or other advice. It is not intended to cause or induce breach of an existing agency agreement. Hello? 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 This is the Vancouver Weather State Podcast. And welcome back to Vancouver Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Adam Scalina. And I'm your other host, Matt Scalina. And Matt, I should say host, but also realtors with Oakwind Realty in downtown Vancouver. And today we've got a phenomenal episode. We've got Brendan Ogmanson. He's the chief economist for the British Columbia Real Estate Association. That's right. BCREA. BCREA. Past guest fan favorite. Brendan, perennial guest. Always at the best time to talk to him. You know too. what? He's always, he always makes time for us. I think this is his sixth time on the show. I looked back in 2023 and we had him on twice, kind of a bookmark uh, beginning of the year and then a kind of mid bookend. Bookend, yes. January, like what's going to happen, then a mid year check in. Yeah. And I feel like that's really, it's really great. So, of course, we're, we got him back on. He's talking what's going to happen 2024, BC economy, because he's, he's looking at the whole province. The housing markets, he gets pretty specific. Interest rates, inflation, unemployment. We talk it all. And it's a it's a great conversation. And and maybe actually bookmark because I, I use Brendan Don't. to determine what page I'm on <laughs> yeah. in terms of how I feel about the market. Yeah. He's a sobering voice uh, in many regards. So, and yeah. very, and very, very, it goes without saying, very, very bright. Super bright. Yeah. 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 And, and so this is a great conversation. I can't wait for that, Matt. What do we got before we get to this conversation? Before we, before? Uh, before we get to our talk with Brendan, I want to do something fun here. Uh, oh, okay. Yeah. Past guest fan favorite, Wendy Waters. Yes. She's big on LinkedIn. I've kind of moved to LinkedIn as my as my place where I, I'm so mature. scrolling. Yeah, it's very... It's very mature. Uh, she posted this. The U-Haul data is out. Oh, so yeah. what people like about the U-Haul data is we're not charting migration patterns around the country, but U-Haul, yes. as in the company where people... Uh, people know what U-Haul is. Yeah. I'm going to explain U-Haul quickly to everybody. <laughs> <laughs> they're charting where the trucks are going, where they're going, where they're leaving. And right. they release this data and it shows where people are moving. So I, I, I compiled a couple of different stats here. I was going to put them to you, see if you could get them. The number one city, growth city, according to U-Haul for 2023 in Canada. Think it over. I got it. It might surprise you. It might surprise me. Well, no, I don't know. I don't know what you're going to say. Can you give me... Uh, uh, give me it, it starts with the letter... No, I'm not going to no, do that. Can you give me at least kind of like what coast we're closest to? No, I'm just no. going to say number one city. You may have it. You may right. have it. I might be trying to throw I'm gonna, sand I'm in gonna, your gears and here. I, I feel like I just... You know what? Because we're so West Coast centric here or close to West Coast centric, I'm going to say Calgary. You are correct. Calgary is the number one growth city according to the U-Haul data in 2023. And I, and I want to say that Calgary, because uh, man, did people rip me apart for saying Calgary on, uh, what, what was that on? TikTok. Thanks. Oh, is that right? Oh, yeah. yeah and that's why we yeah. stopped putting stuff on TikTok. Yeah, exactly. It was a one and done <laughs> so scenario. The, the old one and done. Went viral. 
And then uh, uh, went viral, account. and somebody. What was the other uh, thing that oh. happened to you? Where the somebody said, "Brought to you by Trust Me, Bro." Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I, I, yeah. I was wearing my uh, my puffy vest, so I didn't. I feel look like, like a we're finance, we're too old for. Yeah, maybe not. I'll take know. it. That's yeah. a compliment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, here's the second one: growth market for U-Haul trucks in BC, the highest on the list. Wait, growth market for. For BC, so we're talking Meaning which people that which, are moving. Yeah, like in in the in the province of British Columbia, which city or town was the number one on the list for moving? Yeah, growth. Oh, where uh, the trucks were going? Where the trucks were going? Okay, yeah. got it. I am gonna say um, I'm gonna go say Kelowna. You are correct, sir. Kelowna was number four in Canada on growth. Wow. So Calgary number one, Kelowna number four. Here's just a, a question for you. Did BC, in terms of trucks, was 2023 a growth year or was it an out-migration year? So every... love We talk about love letters to Vancouver on the show today. <laughs> I'm, I'm still going to say for the province, it was a growth year. Interestingly enough, BC went from ninth to second yeah. in terms of growth provinces. I believe that. So I feel like the media this is, is... Hey, hey, this, listen to today's interview if you want. There's some... Uh, Basically, Brendan Ogmanson's great at saying that's BS. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I feel like the media is painting a picture right now that is is not uh, the it's data doesn't. Douglas Todd <laughs> cancel Douglas Todd. Just kidding. Don't don't cancel anybody. No, no, man, not, that guy though. Give me a break. Anyway, okay, and I got I got two more quick ones for you. Province biggest net loss in terms of U-Hauls leaving, and they're not coming back. In in the province of BC. No, no, this is Canada oh, wide. Province. Uh Canada wide. I'm gonna say uh I feel like maybe Ontario. You're right. You've gotten you're three for three here. Yeah. No, actually four for four. Four for four. 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 Yeah. Last yeah. question, fifth question for you here. Which provinces? Okay, there's 25 top cities and towns. Okay. They listed the provinces with the most growth markets. Most growth market. So what I'm asking is the provinces which that have one, the most towns or cities that are growing. Are growing. Yeah. Which provinces? What's number one? Number one province. So is that? I think I might have you stumped here. Uh okay. I'm gonna say maybe. Um, yeah, this is tricky. I kind of want to say BC just because we've got some some hotbeds of activity here. You know what? You're wrong. BC, though, had seven of the 25. It came in number two. Still Ontario. Number nine. Still Ontario. Yeah, so counterintuitive be... because there's net loss in Ontario, <laughs> but it has nine That's growth why I markets. Ontario it's, because a big, it's, it's a big province. A well, also, there's a lot of... Yeah, that makes sense because there's so many growth pockets in, in Ontario. That makes a lot of sense. That's exactly But BC, right. though, you think about BC, I think like, man, Victoria... Like, we've got so many areas that... Salmon Arm actually was high on the list, if you can believe it. Really? Yeah. Yeah. One of the highest. So we have seven of the top 25 growth markets in BC. Of all provinces in Canada, we were number two. I feel like it could be worse. It could be worse. I mean, before seeing this data after uh, just, you know, hanging around for the last couple of months, I thought everybody was leaving. Well, you know what? A lot of this stuff comes out today. We talk about everything from population growth hotspots for opportunity right now, right. which markets are lagging. We talk about inventory, inflation, interest rates. We talk about the mortgage renewal process and what's happening with mortgage renewals. 
We cover so much. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a fantastic conversation. Really excited to have Brendan back on. But last, Adam, before we get to our talk with Brendan, just want to say uh, this week, of course, the Vancouver Real Estate Podcast is sponsored by Scalina Real Estate. Yeah, Matt. And I should say all of our listings get featured on VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com, the powerhouse website the power- for all things that you know about, all things want to learn that's about right. real estate. But this is actually, this is a new listing that's coming in about a week and a half from now that I want to talk about. Uh, fourth floor, 413 at 1588 East Hastings, Boehm. Uh, this is a two-bed, two-bath, just shy of a 1,000 square feet. Of course, Boehm is built 2015. It was a millennium-built property, which is great. Kind of in that north commercial drive pocket, East yokes, Village. Yokes, It's no yoke. This this listing's no yoke. Yeah. You know what the thing is, is? Is this unit is a corner unit, not the glorified kind of bowling alley hotel style right. uh, arrangement. This is actually like... You want a dining room table? You can have a dining room table. So much natural light. It really is a great floor plan. Um, so super excited about this. Uh, parking storage, of course. It's got a den. What's the exposure home. on this one? It is actually looking kind of northwest. So you actually, you're on the northwest corner, which actually means you get unbelievable mountain views. Seriously, some of the nicest views because you're actually on elevated land there, which uh, it, it's great. So your high, top floor of the building on elevated land. doesn't get any better than that. And if you want to learn more about that, Adam, of course, head over to VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com where you can hit sell with us as well and download the sold plan. Most downloaded document to date. And you know it's, what? Uh, it is overtaking phenomenal. PCS. It it's is. overtaking PCS. I don't want to, I don't want to disparage. PCS is still I a great uh, I don't resource. disparage PCS. No. Uh, but the sold plan, yeah, it's, it's crazy. Yeah. It's what a, is it? It's, it's a step-by-step guide to getting top dollar for your property in the shortest amount of time. It's an instant download. So head over, you can get it in real time, which is fantastic. Matt, let's cut to this conversation. I think everybody in the industry is going to love this conversation with Brendan Ogmanson. I feel like, I feel really good about the hiring process processes, I should say, at kind of the governing bodies in oh, the real estate yeah. industry when you get guys like Brendan Ogmanson. No kidding. Enjoy. This podcast is sponsored by Marcon, a local family-owned and managed real estate development and construction company that's been around for nearly four decades. Marcon is not only committed to high-quality construction, but it also is making a positive impact in the communities in which it builds all across the Lower Mainland. We want to highlight two incredible Marcon projects. Elmwood, a 38-story tower located at Burquitlam's most important intersection, Como Lake Avenue and Clark Road. This landmark tower will feature 335 condominiums, over 37,000 square feet of office and retail space, and almost 20,000 square feet of amenity space. Elmwood has been incredibly popular with 80% sold currently, but they still have a great selection of junior one-bedroom all the way to three-bedroom homes remaining. Check out markon.ca slash Elmwood for more. And Matt, we are also excited about Sonehouse, Markon's newest community in West Coquitlam. With 165 homes ranging from junior one beds to three beds, Sonehouse offers the perfect West Coast aesthetic with a more nuanced Nordic-inspired design. Register today at markon.ca slash Sonehouse. That's S-O-E-N-H-A-U-S. Or you can learn more at markon.ca or follow them at Instagram at markonhomes. Markon, building for life. (laughs) 
All right, so we're here with Brendan Ogmanson, Chief Economist for the British Columbia Real Estate Association, BCREA, and uh, past guest fan favorite. A true past guest fan favorite, I would say. Part of the five-timer club, I would think. I'd say, well, I think this is six. Wow. I actually, I, you know what? I was almost nervous to, I when I sent you the email and said, Brendan, we'll have to have you back. I thought you were going to say like, Guys, guys, like, come on, man. every three weeks. I can't co-host your podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I think at, at 10, it's honorary Scalina. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Be careful what you wish for. <laughs> <laughs> Brandon, can you tell our listeners that that don't know about you uh, a little bit about yourself and what you do? Yeah, I am the chief economist for the BC Real Estate Association, where you have the industry association that represents member boards and realtors around the province. Uh, we do all kinds of things, advocacy, government relations, education, and what I do is economics. So we put out forecasts and monthly stats and talk to the media and put out, you know, research and that kind of thing. Fantastic. Well, we'll have to uh, timestamp this because we're January 16th. So it's very early days. I feel like our feelings about last year and the data were divergent when you were on in January of 2023. We got you back. How are we doing first few weeks of the market, British Columbia real estate? Yeah. So the the first few weeks are always pretty slow and the data is certainly pretty slow. I think Vancouver is only tracking like just over a thousand sales for the month so far. It always picks up in the second half of January, but that's still pretty low. Yeah. Uh, Not far off from where we were at this time last year. Anecdotally though, when I'm talking to realtors around the province, they seem to be saying there's a lot more activity than there was, you know, in the recent months. Like December was very slow. The whole second half, basically 2023 was really slow, but it seems like Things are picking up, so the, the vibes are, are better. Maybe the, the the vibes and the data aren't coalescing yet, but I, I, I'm optimistic that 2024 is going to be much better. It's, it's interesting because like, we've been talking about this a lot. The fall of 2022, November, felt like, is there any, is there any business being done? Right. Like Any transactions at all? Uh, similarly, in November 2023, it was the same. It was like, okay, this is like Groundhog Day. Um, but we had a busy spring in 2023 and I remember January of last year feeling very, very slow. And it does, it feels a lot busier right now. I I feel like Uh, that, but so I, my take on January, last January was there was, it might've been slow still. Like, I don't think the market really started picking up till call it March, but there was more optimism in the market. Like the sentiment had shifted come January. Cause remember November and December were like the low points. Yeah. And then we saw optimism kind of changing. But do you not feel like there's more optimism in the market right now than there was last January? I I think it's entirely Bank of Canada related. Yeah, yeah. What we saw in 2022, 2023 was the resale market is very reactive to not even changes in rates, but changes in in outlook for the Bank of Canada. So, you know, when the Bank of Canada started raising rates in, in 2022, we saw sales fall in like, over about a six-month period to about 40% below normal in January. And maybe this is why there maybe it seemed like there was a little more optimism last year uh, when the bank in January 2023 came out and said, we think that we're done raising rates. They were at 4.5% at the time. You know, there was a conditional pause. And then sales really started to pick up to the point where it felt like they were surging. Right. They went from like, we were running at, you know, in Vancouver, like an 18,000 sale annual pace that January, which would be you know, historic low. And then they started to just, they got back to like, just normal, like right on like the 10 year average for sales by about, I don't know what it was, May, May, June, April, May, June. Right. Yeah. That felt like a surge in sales and prices started to rise. Prices were up like 10, 15%. Well, and inventory was low too, right? I feel like that was the, 
Well, yeah, and and it was almost like the any any kind of downward pressure that was on pricing in the last quarter of 2022 was made up in in no time, right? When the market came back. Yeah, because it doesn't take very much because supply is so low. It doesn't take very much of an increase in sales for markets to get really tight. Right. Uh, and then prices start to rise. And that's what we saw last year. And then of course, the Bank of Canada started raising rates again in June and July because the housing market was picking up and inflation wasn't coming down uh, as fast as they wanted it to. And then we saw sales, you know, again, fall about 20, 25% below normal to, you know, to the end of the year. And then, that, you know, here we are, January is looking a little slow, but there is that optimism, I think, entirely fed by expectations of what mm-hmm. the Bank of Canada is going to do, that we are going to have a much stronger spring. And even those expectations in financial markets about what the Bank of Canada is going to do meant that we had five-year fixed mortgage rates drop from like 6.2%, I think as late as November, to by the end of the year, they were, we were at 5.59. And now right. as of now, we're at 5.44. So we've had like a 60 basis point drop in five-year fixed rates without the Bank of Canada doing anything. Right. It's just the outlook has changed to Bank of Canada's going to be cutting aggressively in the second half of 2024. And that impacts bond yields and impacts five-year fixed rates. So this morning's headline though was inflation up, 3.4%. So what does this mean? And does that change when we see the first interest rate cut this year? So, I mean, I think there's always going to be kind of bumps on the road to 2% inflation. And I think we hit one in, in December. Not as concerned about the headline number. It was sort of expected just because gas prices had fallen a lot this time last year. And so the year over year, just means we were up slightly on the headline number. If you strip out you know, uh, of the most volatile kind of prices and look at the measures that the Bank of Canada really looks at, which is CPI median, CPI trim, which is ways of kind of measuring core inflation or like the underlying trend in inflation. They picked up from under 3% to like three and a half, three 3.8% in December. That was a little more concerning. So I think it certainly means the statement the Bank of Canada is going to give in the next week will be less sort of dovish than maybe we expected. It hasn't really changed. I said the timing of rate expectations. Markets still think the Bank of Canada is going to be cutting by April, maybe June. Uh, so it hasn't really changed things that much, but we're certainly going to have to see core inflation coming down over the next couple of months, I think, to, to keep expectations where they are now. But, but this 3.4 inflation number that came out this morning is, in your mind, a bump in the road, not any indication of Wow, you know, it's stickier than we thought, or or some sort of outlier that yeah. changes things. I th- I think so. We're going to continue to see energy prices falling. There are some one-off things. I think in car prices that were are probably not going to be very sticky. The thing I'm super concerned about, but maybe not from a monetary policy perspective, is that is shelter costs. So if you strip out rent and and ownership costs from housing, uh, I think year over year inflation was like two and a half percent, and the three month annualized was like less than one percent. Right. So it, clearly, most of the inflation we're seeing is all about shelter. But the inflation we're seeing on the shelter side isn't because we have overheated demand. It's because we don't have nearly enough supply. And that's especially true on the rental side. So like rents were rising at an 8% pace right. uh, in, in Canada. There's nothing that higher interest rates from the Bank of Canada can do to help, to help that. Yeah. And actually, it hinders, I think, more, more than anything. If rates are too high, we're not going to get the supply we need to bring rents down. So if we're at a point where inflation is like above, a little bit above target, you know, two and a half to 3%, but it's mostly because shelter costs are really high. I can see the Bank of Canada looking past that and still lowering rates. Like keep in mind, Bank of Canada's at 5%, right? There, it's like, so in their minds, 
monetary policy is really restrictive right now. They would like rates to be between two and three. So say they want to be at two and a half percent. Do we need to have a 5% overnight rate when uh, inflation's running just slightly higher than target? Probably not. So it's like they can ease off, you know, at two and a half percent is where they think that inflation's back to 2% anyway, with lags and everything else. But clearly they don't need to keep monetary policy so tight. And if they do, we'll start to see unnecessary damage to the economy. Like if they kept rates at 5%, we would start to see that unemployment rate rise a lot faster than it would otherwise and we'd, and we'd undershoot probably the inflation target. So we don't need infl- rates to be this restrictive. It's just a matter of like, you know, where should rates be? What should the path of rates be to get us back to 2% inflation without like a lot of unnecessary job losses or, or you know, cost in terms of output? So it sounds to me, if I'm hearing you correctly, without explicitly saying it, the Bank of Canada is going to hold the overnight rate. Oh, it, in, in, in January for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think they'll start lowering rates by probably in their April meeting would be my guess. And, you know, contingent on making progress on inflation, maybe you get back to like a 4% overnight rate by the end of the year. Okay. And you're thinking it's quarter point increments, right? Yeah. I think they'll go very slow unless, you know, we obviously, if there's some major shock to the economy and they've got to react a lot sooner or a lot, lot, lot in not much larger magnitude, but I think they'll be very cautious. It's a very, it's a really difficult job they have ahead of them because they have on the one side, they don't want to reignite inflation just when it seems like we've tamed it. And they also have to be wary, though, of this coming mortgage renewal kind of wall that a lot of potentially you know, homeowners are going to be hitting in the next two years. And we want to make that renewal as, as uh, the least sort of onerous as possible. Like even with rates coming down, a lot of you know, current homeowners are going to experience a pretty significant jump in their monthly mortgage payment, 30% in a lot of cases. That's a risk for the economy. It means we're going to have consumer spending slowdown. So we want to make that sort of transition to those renewals, you know, as, as easy as possible. And we need, to, we need lower rates to do that. So I feel like this question is, is uh, puts you in the hot seat a little bit, but I think you can handle it and uh, you, you might not want to just answer one. So we'll give you four factors here. What should we all as students of the real estate market be watching closest bank of canada interest rate unemployment numbers impact of mortgage renewals or inventory levels what is what impacts the market the most so i think right now i think we want to be watching did you have inflation on there uh infl- yeah let's <laughs> add that five five so factors inflation we we would like to see core measures of core inflation coming down and we would like to see the unemployment rate at least stabilizing. We don't want to see that unemployment rising, but we, what we don't want to see is like wages really rising, really, you know, uh, uh, at an accelerated pace because it tends to drive future inflation as well. So if the, if the unemployment rate's too low, it tends to drive wages very, very high, which is ultimately inflationary. So what I would say is you want to watch CPI every single month because it can give you an idea of what the Bank of Canada is going to do. Core inflation is coming down. That's good. The Bank of Canada is probably going to lower rates sooner. What were your other measures? And then, and then renewals. Renewals is a 2025, 26 story. Yeah. So 2024, we were looking at, you know, you have a chart there. It yeah. is largely 2025, 2026. Right. I feel like a lot of people seem to be talking about it as a 2024 story. And there, there is some, but like, if you think about most people that are, have the, the most risk of a very high change in their mortgage payment, probably took out a very low mortgage rate in 2021. Yeah. Right. When they were like 2%. Uh, so that's going to be the largest shock. 
it's I, some of it, I think we've already weathered like quite a bit of this. Like, you know, we had a lot of, uh, of buyers that took out variable rate mortgages. And even if they had a fixed payment because they've hit their trigger rate, like they've already experienced a pretty significant increase in payment or, or they had to pay a lump sum or whatever, uh, unless their bank lets them have negative amortizations without any change in financial vulnerability. So we've already had like a part of the, of the, of the mortgage market experience a really significant payment shock and mortgage arrears are still at record lows uh, and consumer bankruptcies are still, you know, near record lows and new listings in 2023 were the lowest in 20 years. Right. So that all tells me people weren't defaulting on their mortgages. They weren't even being forced to sell their homes because they couldn't afford their payment. So we've already weathered like a significant portion of those resets without any harm. Now there's a much bigger portion of the market that's going to be reset in a couple of years, but we've also seen a much higher household savings, I think in the last, in the last year, like, you know, we used to have like negative savings in Canada and now Canadian households are saving like 5% of their, their income, which is, doesn't seem like a lot, but it's way higher than what we used to right. see. So I think households are already like in some way preparing for these increases in, in, in is that, payments. is that what you attribute it to? Because that it's that a total seems... change in behavior. Yeah. And, and you know, we had like, huge amount of savings during the pandemic, which was kind of like forced savings for a lot of households because they couldn't spend money. But that savings behavior has continued, like not at the extreme levels, but at higher than historical levels uh, through the past two years. Which is so interesting, right? Because in, in my mind, it seems like, you know, if you're just listening to the news, it's like everybody's struggling to make make a go of it, let alone start saving now. It feels like the, the moment where... there's. That wouldn't be happening. It's it's wild because when you, when you, if you're out, like restaurants seem really busy and people seem to go on vacations and like, seems like people are really spending. Yeah. I think they're spending down a lot of that accumulate savings over the past, for the past couple of years, but also they're saving more. Consumer spending is falling. So it's this really weird thing where like anecdotally, if you just go out, it seems like there's a lot of people spending money. But when we look at the aggregate data, consumer spending slowing and people are saving a lot more than they used to. So, you know, some one of those things where like the, the anecdotal data doesn't really fit what's happening in the actual measured data. Right. What about inventory? Because you were just saying inventory was at a record low in 2023. How are we doing with inventory now? And what do you anticipate for the year? This is the big question for prices, I think, in 2024 is all about, well, one, uh, what the Bank of Canada does, because that's going to, de- going to determine what happens with sales. But the other big one is, is what happens with new listings. So new listings activity, like in Vancouver, was the slowest since 2003. We had fewer than 50,000 new listings for, throughout the year uh, in the RebGV area. That's the lowest since 2003. In, in the province as a whole, it's the lowest since like 2005. So wow. really, really soft new listings activity. Like, you know, usually you have like 55 to 60,000 new listings throughout the year. Um, so people just weren't listing their homes in 2023. Is that going to change in 2024? We did some research last year about like what factors drive new listings. Topics like demand tends to, if people are out buying, they're probably selling their home as well in many Mm -hmm. cases. If the unemployment rate rises, that tends to increase new listings. Then there's like the lock-in effect, which lowers new listings. Like it was a big reason why new listings were so low in 2023 is because all of those people with 2% mortgages, if you want to sell, obviously you're going to have to buy somewhere else. And perhaps they're put off like, well, if I sell my home, I think it's really great rate. I'm going to have to get a new home at a 6% mortgage. I don't want to do that. So that differential, that lock-in, you know, I'm locked in at two. I don't want to renew at a much higher rate. I think depressed listings as well. So as rates come down and with time, that, that lock-in effect you know, gets 
narrower, the spread gets narrower. That should maybe bring some people off the sidelines. So, you know, even just getting back to normal new listings would help on the inventory side, but we are pretty low. Like it took three years to get back to 2019 levels of active listings in Vancouver. We're starting the year at like now just over 8,000 or something active, total active listings. That's pretty low. Uh, if we, so if we have a sales surge in the spring because the Bank of Canada is cutting rates and new listings aren't keeping up, then prices are going to start rising. How much room do they have to run? Vancouver is only about uh, 10, 5, 10% off its all-time peak. So maybe less room to run in Vancouver than a place like the Fraser Valley where prices are still 20% below their peak. So right. there's a lot more gap. Chilliwack, same thing. So there's some room really like from just think, think about recent peak prices is like, a mental kind of barrier of where the highest price should be. There's some real room for prices to move in, in some of those markets. Is there any, do you have projections of inventory? Like, is there any way that you can actually go, okay, we're going to, we're at, you know, if you watch the inventory levels, at least in the uh, real estate board of greater Vancouver in December, it always falls off and we're whatever, 8,500 or whatever we're at from past conversations, like it needs to be 15,000 basically to be a truly healthy market. Yeah. What do, you, what do you see inventory doing? So all of our models essentially work off of mean reversion. So models always want to get back to the average. So um, almost no matter what you do in, in the types of models that we use for forecasting, like active listings really want to get back to that 15,000 number. Uh, but it really depends on what happens with sales. If we have really fast sales and new listings can't keep up, then yeah, active listings are going to It's a really simple arithmetic, right? Yeah. Uh, then we're going to get inventory just depleting. So it really, what really matters is is going to be new listings. And I think they'll be better than this year. I don't think we're going to have, you know, another 20-year low in new listings. Uh, I think generally we'll have more activity, especially even just if buying picks up, that, that kind of generates listings on its, on its own. Uh, so I, I think that we'll see inventory accumulate. In the Fraser Valley, they're already pretty close to, if they need to be around six or 7,000 listings, they're getting close. RebGV just, for whatever reason, I don't know if it's, if it's a price level or what, but the turnover is just very low. It's not quite like the Okanagan or the island where they just can't generate any inventory uh, on the resale side. But like Vancouver seems to really be stuck in that like 10,000 active listings kind of territory. Uh, and it seems to be having trouble like getting back to like a healthy amount of listings. And maybe it's because like really expensive homes don't turn over as much. I don't, I don't know, but it's a real, it's a real issue. Huh. What about uh, BC's economy in relation to the Canadian economy? They're, you know, you, for the past like decade, BC's generally grown faster than, than Canada as a whole. Over the past year, like we were tracking growth in BC about one and a half percent. I think, I can't remember what the, I was at the forecast council. So I'm on the Ministry of Finance's forecast council. So we get together with bank chief economists and some, you know, local, some yeah, BC chief economists as well. We all give the the government our our forecasts. I, I think the the average estimate for 2003 was around one percent growth, and the average forecast. I'm not sure if I'm allowed to say because it's in the anyway is was is going to be it was around like one percent for 2024 as well. You heard it um, here first. You heard it here first. Yeah. <laughs> so the, the consensus is really like, you know, 2024 growth is going to look a lot like 2023 growth, and I think that's similar in Canada. There's some real bright spots in like Alberta was actually growing yeah. pretty fast in 2023. So I, I think we're going to see like a real repeat of, of this year, just like really meager growth. I, so I can say this, the forecasting council. So someone made a reference to music, like 
it's mostly people in their 60s. So it was like a Bob Dylan reference. It's like somebody about a hard brain's going to fall. It's like, okay. And then someone else made, <laughs> and then someone else made a long and winding road. Uh, oh, it's going to be a long and winding Sounds road. Sounds like a great meeting. And, and so, yeah. So I was like, I'll continue. I'll continue the <laughs> musical theme. And I think it's going to be like you know, unsatisfied by the replacements. And yeah. Crickets. Crickets. <laughs> One guy from the government came up after us like, I got that reference. That's a good song. <laughs> but, That's funny. and then I also was on the record saying the long and winding road is the worst Beatles song. The <laughs> um, so that's that. Hopefully that made it to the record. Yeah, you can get put it, it in you, the minutes. You have a, a freedom of information request. Like, um, but yeah, so I think it's going to be like a really unsatisfactory kind of year. Like it's a, the growth is going to be kind of slow. Job growth is going to be slow. I don't think we're going to have a recession uh, this, this year. Maybe we're in one now, like the third quarter in Canada had negative growth. Fourth quarter is tracking like under 1% that could easily end up being negative. Maybe we'll get two quarters of negative growth, but like we're not seeing mass job losses. Like the things that you feel, you know, that to me are really a recession is a combination of like falling output, job losses, you know, you know just general like economic activity really collapsing. And we're not, probably seen that. So even if we have a recession, it'd be very mild. It wouldn't look much different than just like flat kind of growth. Right. So, you know, no recession, mild recession are going to feel like the same thing. And so if I understand Alberta's doing, you know, outperforming BC's kind of in line though, with the general Basically, Canadian yeah. economy. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Okay. I just wanted to ask you about immigration. Because I I feel like we've talked a lot on this show about immigration. I feel like now in the mainstream press, the the narratives are kind of changing pretty quickly around around immigration. Yeah, I I was going to bring this up too, but I'm curious to see where you're going with this, like the narrative. Well, where are the narratives going? Yeah. Well, my take on the narrative is is that it seems like there's a growing backlash against immigration. They were talking about 500,000 and it's... What there was one point two million last year or something. Sure. People is that those it, are different. So five hundred thousand yeah. is the target for permanent residents. Right. The total population growth is permanent residents plus non permanent residents. Right. So that which not, is over a million. Yeah, and so that's like temporary foreign workers and students. Students as well, international students. students. Yeah. So that's but, where and and that has no target and there's no cap and there's no so that's like a kind of a free floating kind of variable. It was really high in two thousand twenty three. It's pretty volatile. Doesn't mean it's going to be that high going forward, but it certainly like has caused a lot of like a huge increase in population growth, and especially on the temporary foreign worker and and international student side, that puts a lot of immediate pressure on the rental market. Right. So, so what I was going to ask is, you know, you hear, you hear, and you see, there's a lot of immigration in Vancouver, in British Columbia, across the country. Um, I think Douglas Todd in the Vancouver Sun, though, has you know. Recent stories about people leaving Vancouver. Well, this is uh, I so feel it's like, like that's all over social media. I, as well. what, what I'm what I'm trying to get at is is where are we at? I feel like a year ago I would have said, "Tell us about all the immigrants and how that's going to boost rent and you know demand and everything else." It feels a little bit more muddy right now in terms of the impact specifically in Vancouver. Like, how what is population growth doing? in Vancouver and British Columbia right now. I think in BC population growth is like over 3%. And like we were used to growing at like half to 1% a year. So 3% is really fast growth for like a big kind of mature economy to be growing. There's obviously an impact on housing demand. We wrote our piece this time last year 
looking at the impact of the immigration targets uh, for, uh, versus the impact of the foreign buyer ban, which no one talks about anymore because <laughs> yeah. um, didn't do anything. <laughs> and we, you know, we estimated there would be a pretty large um, increase in prices due to uh, all the extra housing demand. About 50% of new permanent residents buy within five years. So the most immediate impact is on rents. And we're certainly seeing the impact on rents. I mean, in Canada, rents are rising at an 8% pace. In BC, they're rising at close to 9% year over year. So there's a lot of pressure on housing. You hear like constant stories about just the type of housing people are sort of you know, renting, like four people to a, to a bedroom sure. kind of things for students. Yeah, like nightmare scenarios. Absolute nightmare. Because we, you know, we, the truth is we need a pretty high level of immigration. If you look at births, just organic population growth in BC is negative. So we have more deaths than births. We have like the lowest birth rate in like, you know, almost the world or something. It's like very, very low in Vancouver. Right. Um, uh, so we're not generating a population growth. We're Japan without- No fun without, city. Yeah, without Im- without immigration. Oh, if you have kids, it's not super fun. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> they're fun for like a while. I have teenagers. They're, they're, they're Okay, they're fun. They might listen to this. They're, they're yeah. super fun. Um, but without, so we need immigration because our population otherwise is declining. Do we need immigration at these levels? That's up for debate. Should we have prepared for this immigration with housing supply <laughs> 10 years ago? If, you know, if we had any foresight whatsoever right. or any coordination among policymakers whatsoever? Yeah, of course. Like a lot of our problems we have right now, I think, can be traced to 10 years of misdiagnosing the problems in the housing market and doing everything except what we're doing now, which is like a bunch of like policies that housing economists and other economists have been asking for for a decade, like mm-hmm. upzoning, you know, minimum kind of zoning around transit, like things that make sense, right? Yeah. Building density, which we've been saying forever. And they just are getting around to it now because they've been chasing ghosts for 10 years instead. It's, it's wild how long the misdiagnosis took, right? I mean, well, there people, is- people like uh, Douglas Todd and his people <laughs> right. in the media were uh, for a long time, you know, really feeding the narrative that, it's all, it's all foreign capital, foreign investors, foreign right. money. You know, if, I, think I probably said this a while ago, but like we, you know, we had this mass natural experiment with the pandemic where like we shut all that to zero and what did we get? Record high home prices, record high home sales. All of the policies that have had the most impact on the housing market have been directed at domestic demand. So like stress test and mortgage rates, like things right. that don't affect wealthy foreign investors. So Seems like it's pretty clear at this point that that wasn't the driver of the housing market over the last little while, but uh, some people are still clutching, clutching that narrative. Yeah. Wait, you know what, in your, so you were gracious enough to share um, a presentation. That it was you, gracious. It was very gracious. <laughs> and we were eternally grateful for, for those slides. Spent a ton of time with them. You have one of them that says the pandemic changed affordability. Yeah. Like indefinitely was my take on it. No, yeah. Hey, I'm just curious. Can you kind of unpack that idea? Because it does feel like it was a, a point in time that we're always going to be looking to. Yeah. Like in 2019, there were refuges uh, for, for affordability, right? Like Chilliwack was pretty affordable. Like parts of the Fraser Valley, the island, the north, uh, the interior, like were much more affordable than Vancouver. The pandemic was a combination of a massive supply shock. So we didn't have a lot of listings in the market. Like, listings were actually falling and a huge demand shock because, you know, rates went to essentially zero. So the, the policies that were necessary to save the economy from absolute economic disaster had this unintended consequences of massively igniting demand in the housing market. 
as a result, and at the same time, spread that demand around the province. So people wanted to get out of cities. They wanted to get out of their apartments and into, into single-family homes with lots of space. Remember all that flight to space that people would talk about? So that spread demand all over, plus work from home, all those things, spread demand all over the province. So now you had not just like Vancouver with like, you know, people with higher incomes and, and high housing demand, but now those people could live Kamloops, wherever, they could work from wherever, bringing their high incomes to markets that, you know, had, had lower incomes. And as a result, home prices absolutely took off. So in almost every market around BC, if you look at just like, what would the average mortgage payment be in 2019 versus 2023, they've doubled. So in like every market, like Victoria, Vancouver Island, Interior, the average mortgage payment that you, you would have in 2023 is like 90% higher than mm-hmm. it would be in 2019. And prices are really sticky. Like prices don't tend to come down very much. Mortgage rates might come down a bit. So there's, there's some affordability will get, you know, kind of clawed back over the next year if rates come down, but then prices will probably rise too. So it's, I don't see how we go back. How do you go, you know, you know right now, like at one point, Chilliwack had an average price of $900,000. Yeah. And it's still like seven fifty. Like it's come down a lot. Yeah. But like, you know, it'll probably be eight hundred thousand dollars in a few years. Like that used to be a pretty affordable market for for families, and it's just not anymore. So like, I don't know. What do we? What do we? What do you do? There's no way of expanding the housing supply in two years, right? To offset that kind of demand. So you know, when when we run our simulations, and if you look at uh, the CMHC or or the report that the provincial government put out, um, I think it was in December about what they think their Homes for People plan is going to do. Uh, if you kind of take those calculations out, it could take 10 to 15 years to undo just the effect of the past three years on affordability. Wow. Yeah. It's, it's the problem with, all, with housing markets is this asymmetry of supply and demand. Like as 10 years to undo three. Well, if it takes, you know, it takes five years to get an apartment built. Yeah. Plus two years of permitting. Yeah, it makes, like, I mean, it like, makes yeah, sense. Yeah, yeah. And just, then just getting enough to get to a point where like you raise sort of the level of active listings and housing stock and everything else. It just, it, it takes a long time. And for incomes to catch up, like it's, it's, uh, yeah, anyway, this, this sort of asymmetry, like demand changes in an instant and supply is a very long process. Hey, everyone. Pardon the interruption. We just want to take a quick minute to thank the following sponsors who make this show possible. This podcast is sponsored by Common Ground Consulting. Are you developing in the Lower Mainland? Common Ground Consulting is a development management and consulting company with experience in single family, townhouses, multifamily, and commercial developments. What I love about Common Ground, Adam, is they manage the whole development process from due diligence and feasibility reports for initial purchase of land to completing rezoning, development permits, and building permits. They streamline the whole process with strong relationships with sub-consultants and municipalities and a deep understanding of all city requirements. Common Ground Consulting. Feasibility and efficiency prioritized every step of the way. Learn more at commonground-consulting.com or 604-807-6419. We are also sponsored by Oakland Realty. This is our real estate brokerage, best brokerage in the city, hands down. If you are in the industry, a new agent, an aspiring agent, somebody just looking to make a change, new culture, new energy, 
new resources, head over to oakland.com slash join, type in VRP 2020. That's oakland.com slash join, type in VRP 2020. Not only do you get to meet Michael Morgan and the gang, the big wigs over at Oakland, you get a huge incentive for first going to oakland.com slash join, typing in VRP 2020. Well, we, we want to get to what home prices will do this year. But before that, what do you think the path of inflation is going to be for 2024? Uh, I think, you know, generally the trajectory is going to be down. It's going to be kind of bumpy. So, yeah, as we saw with December inflation, we were kind of ticked up. I think we'll probably finish 2024 close to target. Again, if there's any stickiness, it's going to be in shelter costs. So I could see... If rents keep going the way they are, I could see inflation kind of hovering like that two and a half kind of percent. But I think overall, like the era of like four or five plus percent inflation is done. Like we're not going to reignite that. You know, energy prices seem to be coming down. We have a lot of we don't have like the the impulses that were for that were driving inflation when it peaked were you know, supply chains and energy prices. Mm-hmm. You know, on top of housing and food costs. Energy prices now are down. You know, most months, like gas prices are way down. So month over month, gas prices are falling. Food inflation even seems to be slowly, way too slowly coming down. So that's not going to be as much of a pressure. Supply chains are essentially fixed. Although now we have uh, you know, the Suez Canal and, and terrorists attacking trade routes. So maybe we'll get some, maybe some inflation there. But it's really going to all be all about shelter costs over the next year and how fast those, come, come, those, those costs come down. Mortgage interest rate costs aren't going to be 30% higher this time uh, next year the way they are now. So just the pure arithmetic means year over year, that's going to fade a lot. It's really like rent. Rent is the really Right. That's one they can't control, right? Yeah. And it's it's about a 30%. So shelter's 30% of CPI. Rent's like, I think it's like 5 to 10% of that or whatever it is. So it's, it's, it's a bigger weight um, and it's going to be pretty sticky. So we're going to I imagine we'll see inflation a little bit above 2% just because of those shelter costs. So we've covered inflation, interest rates. You're back here at the end of December. What do you think the Bank of Canada rate is in, in 12 months? So hopefully at 4%, I think that there's 100 basis points of cuts. For a while, the market was pricing in like 150 basis points. Yeah. Like a really aggressive. But I think we'll be at 4%. You know, I, I could see them getting to 2.5% to by the end of 2025. Uh, kind of where they would like to be. I think mortgage rates are are the bigger question because we still have an inverted yield curve. So where the five-year bond yield is now is probably where it should be long-term. So right now we're at 3. I think 3.4% on a five-year bond yield. Five-year fixed mortgage rates, 5.44. So that's about a, was that a 200 so basis point spread? Yeah. Is it possible to diverge much more than that in your mind? Uh, it does when there's like a big risk premium built in or like for a while, like we had very low uh, five-year bond yields. They felt like 3.2%, but we still for a while had like a 5.6% five-year fixed rate. So that was like a 240 basis point spread. Normal is about 170 basis points. And like basis point talk is super exciting on a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> but like there's some room to fall. And you know, I was saying like there's so at that time, there's some real room to fall still because that spread was so high for no real reason. And we did, we fell to 5.44. But like long-term, if the Bank of Canada is at two and a half percent, if you just sort of build up from there, like just spread for the, for bond yields, spread for you know, banks taking a profit on mortgages, you get to a, a long-term five-year fixed rate that's between like 4.3 and 5.3%, which is like a lot higher than it's been yeah. in the past decade. So most of the client's 
you've worked with in your careers have been kind of used to like a three, three and a half percent, five-year fixed rate, sometimes lower. The next 10 years, every like first-time home buyer that you're working with is going to be not only dealing with a mortgage rate that's between, you know, four and a half and five and a half percent or whatever, but needing to qualify at over six if we right. keep the stress test the way it is. Yeah. Right. The minimum they qualify at 5.25, but that's only if we have a mortgage rate under 4%, which we wouldn't have with a two and a half percent Bank of Canada rate. So for all realtors working with first-time home buyers in the next 10 years, we're gonna be dealing with an, an affordability situation that's just way different than what we've seen or grown accustomed to over the past decade. Does in your mind, just in the next, and this is the next decade kind of conversation, so affordability is more challenged just in terms of monthly carrying costs. How does that impact pricing? And I'm thinking specifically from you know a real estate investor perspective, maybe somebody considering a presale, like how does that, you know, does that keep prices kind of fairly stagnant in your mind? It really depends how... I mean, this is on something on the demand yeah. side. There seems to be... And this is assuming those rates that you just yeah. don't mind. Yeah. But even like at those rates, we still saw levels of demand that were pretty high. Like, so like just last year when we saw sales starting to come back to normal levels, that was still at a, you know, a qualifying rate that was close to 6% at the time. So we can certainly get to pretty decent levels of sales all across the province with a fairly high qualifying rate. Right. So what happens with prices then is really how can we get supply, enough kind of abundance of supply that, we, that the market can absorb that demand? It'll be a lot harder to get demand really you know, uh, taken off the way it did in like 2021 or something. I don't, you know, with, and of course, we have all kinds of economic shocks all the time. So probably a pretty safe bet over the next 10 years that we see rates fall below the Bank of Canada's 2.5% at some point because mm. that's just the way it seems to go. We'll have recessions. We'll have major economic shocks. So something will happen, which is kind of the point. Like we're going to have demand shocks. And my, my point is always, we need to have enough supply to absorb those demand shocks. It's not always going to be able to offset. Like there's nothing we could have done in 2020 to offset a 40% increase in prices, right? We have like, we don't, we can't increase supply that much that fast, but can we have sort of enough supply that we're our sort of steady state is like 40 to 50,000 listings in the province instead of 25, right? Or like in Vancouver, we have like a steady 15 to 18,000 active listings all the time. Mm-hmm. And we just can't seem to get there because, you know, and it seems like the only way we can do it is to massively build more housing. Right. That takes a while to kind of, you know, filter into the resale market too. But so from, and thinking about that before we get to the, the forecast on 2024 that everyone's waiting on with, Bated breath here. Yeah. Uh, so notepads at home. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, but thinking about those policy changes a little bit, because, you know, I like the line of chasing ghosts for the last decade. It seems like everybody's kind of on the same page now. There's been some massive changes to zoning. There's been some massive changes to, you know, no GST for rentals, whatever the Fed program is, whatever they're mm-hmm. calling that. So it seems like everybody's coming around to this supply issue, but what in the kind of even, and again, thinking back to the kind of uh, not even elevated, this new cost of money, there's gravity back in the market or whatever you want, however you want to put it. Does all that really change, move the dial if, if it's really hard to pencil out building something? That's the really hard part over the next 
five years, especially, you know, we have all this policy and kind of people act as if because the policy is in place, it's going to happen. Right. right. Well, let's pencil in 500,000 units over the next 10 years then. Right. Yeah. So like there's a great, but the Homes for People Pie had all this modeling, uh, atta- uh, this whole pay. I'm not, I might be one of three people that actually read it, but it's all the people like, yeah, we used to have to look at who is behind housing policy and maybe not be super thrilled. But now like the people who wrote that paper and did all the modeling are like people that you would put together. It's Jens von Bergman did a bunch of the modeling and, and, and is, and is it Nathaniel Lester? Yeah. Lester? yeah, yeah. And, and Sir Somerville and Tom David off like, People you would expect that all are like, no, we need to increase supply. Right. And, Everybody's and here's like some like real good modeling and it kind of matches the modeling we've done. Uh, so that's how I know it must be good. So, <laughs> and, but that, the, you know, that's, sh- and that shows like, you know, they're reasonably confident that they can complete 500, it's about 550,000, I think units over some 10 year window. I'm not as optimistic that that's true simply because of the next five years Borrowing costs still pretty high. Labor is really scarce. Market conditions are a little softer. So a lot of projects maybe that were slated for this next five years are maybe shelved. There's been some developers that are having some financial troubles. So I think it's going to be really hard over the short term to hit those targets, like really difficult, maybe over a 10-year window, like if we have the right policies in place, then it certainly makes it more likely we can do that. But to play that kind of catch up, I mean, we need to be completing like net. So net of demolitions, like 55 to 60,000 units a year. The most we've ever completed in BC is 42,000 units. So we need to massively level up construction. And like, how are we going to do it? We have right now about 8% of the, of the workforce is in construction. The most it's ever been is about 9.5%. And if you look at kind of productivity of the construction sector, it would equate to like, we would need to hire about another, I don't know, say 150,000 to 200,000 people in construction to build that much extra yeah. housing. It's probably not going to happen at a time when, you know, over the next five years, 15% of the construction labor force is set to retire. I also wonder about infrastructure projects. Cause like yeah. we, it, it seems like everything now is starting to fail. <laughs> All the systems, um, and then like plus broad, and then Broadway line, Broadway subway, and uh, St. Paul's Hospital, and right. on and on and on. Yeah. Right? Yeah. There's all those non-residential big projects that are also happening. So that labor is going to be occupied because, like, there's a lot of the between residential and non-residential. If you're building a tower versus a hospital, pretty much the same people. Yeah. So it's going to be really hard to attract the labor. There's things you can do. There's like on the productivity side to get things done way faster. Like, um, um, I always forget what it's called and I'm forgetting now. What's the thing where you can like build towers with, with, uh, with wood, I mean, build them higher in their Oh, the oh, mass timber? Mass, mass timber. timber. Oh. oh, I cannot remember the phrase uh. mass timber to save my life. This is like four times in a row. <laughs> yeah, I forgot. Yeah. So mass timber, anything kind of, you know. Uh, I thought you were going to say 3D printing. I know. I <laughs> 3D printing, yeah. yeah. <laughs> saw that on 60 Minutes. Yeah. 3D but like any kind of offsite manufacturing where you can just deliver panels or whatever and construct something. Clearly, we're going to have to have some improvement in productivity because there's not going to be the labor resources required just to like a straight, like increase the labor and you get this much more building. That's not, not necessarily going to be yeah. possible. Surprisingly, though, if you talk to the development community, mass timber doesn't, doesn't seem to give you any benefit in terms of timelines or, you know, yeah. and it goes on. Like it, it, it's, it seems like a hard thing to do, but 
I don't know. I don't know. But they need, I mean, at some point we need to figure out how to build things way faster because we're yeah. not going to be able just to throw more labor at it. Like obviously construction is very labor intensive. So some of it, like, yeah, you just need more people and you can build more stuff. I just going to hit real capacity constraints, I think on the labor side. So it's going to be really hard to hit those targets. Right. Makes sense. And before we get to home prices, oh. markets, markets that uh, in the province that you think are outperforming and then uh, maybe where you see some opportunities. Um, yeah, I guess the last time I, I, was, I was talking about the Kootenai, which, which was performing really well, it's often a bit towards the end of the year, but still like... East Coots. Well, it's one of those like... <laughs> one of my favorite spots. Wa- waterfront under <laughs> nice a million dollars. <laughs> yeah, so if you like the outdoors, I think it, that, that's a place. Um, but again, those places, I think, if we're going to have markets that start to overheat, which is a risk... Uh, if rates come down and we don't have enough supply, then the markets that have the furthest price appreciation to go uh, to get back to peak are, are places in the Fraser Valley. So you heard so, it here and, first, but, Chilliwack. And that's, Chilliwack. But Chilliwack actually, I think, is a is is a good market right now. So, and we're gonna have uh, Jaden Lee back on to talk about investment Investing. opportunities there. But so basically, the the way you're doing this analysis is what was the peak. What's been the trough, the deepest trough gives yeah, the biggest where, run. Where we are right now, just as a sense of like how much, how much space is there. Like Vancouver is still like pretty close to 1.3 million for yeah. average price, like 2.2 on a single family. Is, yeah. is, does that have a lot higher to go? I don't know. I mean, I've always been surprised by Vancouver yeah, in the past, but that, sure. that's still very expensive. You know, $2.2 right. $2 million for an, you know, on average, a lot more. That's the whole RebGV average. So way more in the city of Vancouver. So uh, just looking at markets where like that could absorb that much extra price, that's, I mean, that's a really like proxy for it, but like, and there are also markets that don't have a lot of supply. Fraser Valley is like actually kind of close to having a decent amount of supply, but it's also growing so fast. It's going to be hard to keep up. So like over a longer term, I think you could, there's not really, there's a point uh, in, in the pandemic, 2021, I think where the Fraser Valley average price was almost the same as the Vancouver price yeah, or maybe it's the yeah. HPI price, which was wild. But you can see that convergence happening. The bigger Surrey gets, the bigger that that market gets. It's so young too. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of demand. They get as they get transit, like I could definitely see right. prices, prices um approaching Vancouver prices for sure. Uh, unless they can really increase their supply. What about Kelowna? Kelowna's really fast. And this is the kind of the other thing. Kelowna it got very expensive very quickly. So the other sort of you know places to look at i think are are retirement markets near the okanagan that are not quite the okanagan so like uh what's penticton. the penticton penticton we, got pretty expensive yeah too. it did get yeah. pretty Kamloops yeah. is starting to get kind of expensive so like but like there's some more markets that are actually in the bc northern board because it it stretches so far west or sorry east so like, there's some markets that are like interior like hundred mile house williams lake right that are kind of like retirement areas that aren't as maybe not as nice as Kelowna, but more affordable. Cause if you're, if you're thinking about retiring and maybe you're, you're, you have more modest savings or something, Kelowna might be pretty expensive yeah. for a lot of people, but Williams Lake, hundred mile house still give you a lot of like lake and whatever else outdoor, you know, recreational activities, not as expensive. The amenities are obviously not as, not as good. More Hell bugs, gets, more bugs. I think more bugs. There's other like, any offshoots of like the like LNG too. Right. So like, can't remember now, like there's a, a terrace, I think was, is pretty close to Kitimat, I think, but has way more amenities. Right. So people that were like working on LNG and Kitimat, but like Kitimat doesn't have a lot 
I guess, I haven't been there, maybe it's gorgeous. Not a lot to offer in terms of amenities. So we saw a huge run up in prices in Terrace. R&R in Terrace. So the, the, what about, what about, I'm thinking about the island, specifically Nanaimo. Nanaimo to me seems so, I mean, and, and, you know, I can hear people maybe yelling at the speaker. Uh, You're things, talking things, your book. Things about Nanaimo. <laughs> <I'm just> joking. <laughs> um, but, you know, but I look at Nanaimo and I think, how is it this affordable, all things considered? I mean, I, I look at like what you can get a pretty good house in a, in a reasonably nice neighborhood in Nanaimo, which is, at the end of the day, it's a beautiful part of the province. It's on the island. So I agree. Uh, I'm about to throw a little bit of shade. At Nanaimo. Uh, yeah, I know. Well, that's every, that's what I was. <laughs> no, so I, I was actually in Nanaimo for three nights at a basketball tournament. And, and in my, it's a bunch of, I was a chaperone for a high school basketball team. I don't want to hang out with 17 year olds. They don't want to hang out with me. So it was me just by myself in Nanaimo. <laughs> binge watching shows and there's a really good barbecue place in Nanaimo. So eating some ribs, it's like the saddest, like eating ribs by yourself in a hotel room. <laughs> that, that's my, that's my life. Um, but they were really good, but I will note that like a lot of communities, um, they have a pretty serious unhoused population sure, in sure. Nanaimo. So after dark, it gets a little interesting uh, walking so around safety parts downtown. of Nanaimo. Yeah. It's, but it, it, but also gorgeous new convention center, like a lot of really great new amenities. Obviously, there's you know beautiful part of, of BC. So it's I don't know. It's it, maybe downtown has has a little bit more right. issues than than other parts for sure. But but it's also so close to other you know, drive to Parksville and in sure. Bay and all these gorgeous places really quickly. So yeah, it's it's um. It certainly has gotten more expensive though. Like it's relatively more affordable, but in you now with the, the ferry and everything else, like it's, it's, yeah, it might be, might be up and coming. I don't know. Just, I yeah. just compare, I just think of, and maybe it's an unfair comparison, but I think about like just the other cities in BC and just how expensive the detached market is. And then True. I look at Nanaimo and I think, yeah, seems like a pretty big spread, but yeah. That, and that's, that's, probably true. But I mean, then, but the Island has gone up and that's one of on the affordability thing. It's one of the, Biggest jumps, biggest I think, because it used to be oh, yeah. like pretty affordable. And again, like a, kind of a refuge for affordability, and not really the case for a lot of people anymore. The people in Nanaimo don't want you coming there. That's what they. That's what <laughs> okay. they told us on try, TikTok. Try the ribs. <laughs> try the ribs. Try yeah. the ribs. Yeah. <laughs> smoking, smoking, Georgia. <laughs> so, so just just to be clear here, Brendan, for your money, you're looking at the Fraser Valley uh, for 2024 in terms of of opportunities. I think, I think long-term, I think that that's a market that just because the growth is so high uh, and because, you know, Surrey is obviously the fastest growing, one of the fastest growing cities in Canada, population so young and like prices have shown an ability to get very high in that market already. Uh, I would suggest that's a place where if you're looking at price appreciation anyway, that's, that could be one of them. All right. And uh, speaking of price appreciation, last but not least, December, 2024. So where are we at? This is where I get yeah, the forecast gets very boring. So I think and, it's gonna be like sales volume too. Let's so, yeah. get a sales volume. I think check. I, I think I just finished our forecast for this year. So in BC, I think we're at close to eighty thousand units, which is still a little below average because I think the first half of this year is gonna be kind of kind of slow still. In Vancouver, I think we're at about twenty nine thousand to thirty thousand sales. We hit twenty six thousand in two thousand twenty three, which is very very low. I think sales will pick up. Contingent on the Bank of Canada cutting rates. Yeah. If they don't, then that's obviously not going to be true. And then, and prices, it's like, on the one hand, I could very easily see Bank of Canada's cutting rates, sales are surging, new listings are not 
coming online as fast as expected and prices start to really pop. At least in other Vancouver is still pretty high. So I'm not, I'm not as maybe bullish on Vancouver prices rising a lot because they were really resilient in 2023. But for the province, I think we're probably, I think we have our forecast is up like something really boring, like one and a half percent in 2024. And, uh, and then up another like two or three percent in 2025. Interesting, like the, we're talking about the forecast council, the average price forecast for BC in 2023 was $917,000 and we finished at 971, which tells you a lot about like what expectations were for 2023 yeah. versus what actually happened. Right. Prices were so resilient. So we're at, you know, the average price is 971. December was 965 for the province as a whole. I think we've got it at like 995 for the, for the average for 2024, which means probably some time above a million, some time below, uh, maybe end of the year, close to a million. You know, December is always kind of weird. So. Predictions for Matt's bench December 2024. Well, I don't know what he's benching now. Yeah. And I don't Does know he get the 40 in each hand? <laughs> oh, dumbbell? On dumbbells? <laughs> we have this segment called the five wire. So just before we get that, I think you're, it's worth noting, very similar to Andrew Liss. Uh, on, on the on where he thinks 2024 well, is going to be. Oh, about yeah. One and a half percent, more or less. I think that was good, right in line. Good company, man. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, the segment the five wire. Adam. I, you know what the seg- You know what I was just thinking. We we didn't print out the five wire. Questions, I can do a so couple I'm, I'm by memory. Here. I can do a couple by memory. Let me start. I, can you first of all? Can you stick around for the oh, five wire? Love to. The five wire is brought to you by Scalina Real Estate. Hey, that sounds familiar. Scalina Real Estate is a full service real estate company serving Vancouver, offering comprehensive, tried and tested buyer and seller systems. With over a decade in the top ten percent of realtors in the Lower Mainland, and a perfect five-star Google review, Scalina Real Estate can help with all your real estate needs. We also have an extensive network of the best industry professionals and trades right across the country. There's no reason to not get in touch. Head over to scalinarealestate.com to find out more. One thing I'd like to point out, and I think we've pointed out before, you you have some of the best five-wire answers, I think. Not to, not to put any, not to put any pressure oh, on you. But what, <laughs> what is, what is uh, one book you've read recently We've had some good suggestions here in the past, but one book you've read recently, maybe over the holidays, yeah. that you'd recommend? I'm I'm currently almost done. Uh, this is, I think, six times on the show, six Wilco references. <laughs> yeah. uh, but Jeff Jeff Tweedy wrote a book. Is it called World in a Song? Anyway, it's it based the premise of the book is it's fifty songs that have like been meaningful to him in some way. So he has like, just like not his own. No, no, just songs throughout just his life. Songs, that, yeah. And so it's, Oh, interesting. And so it's like, he'll write like two pages about a song and it's everything from like, you know, ABBA dancing queen to suicide Frankie teardrop. If you know that, that's wow. <laughs> there's gotta um, be a Spotify. Oh, yeah, uh, the, oh yeah. No, yeah. And that's the best part. Like I love books like that. And any kind of oral history of like any yeah. music genre, cause you can find a, a playlist. So there's a playlist for the book. So you can just, you can listen to the song as you, read his, his thoughts on it. And so that's, uh, is he still, that. he's touring with his son. Is that, I th- both I his I sons. Yeah. Oh, okay. He's, he's got his, one of his sons is a, a drummer and the other, the other sings sometimes. So that's yeah. kind of got to be the dream to, for right. a guy like Jeff. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. If you, I guess if you, yeah. If you want to tour with your kids. <laughs> yeah. Maybe the dream. <laughs> Maybe. Uh, question number two, in the last five years, what new belief behavior or habit has most improved your life? I don't know. Yeah. I think I struggle with this one every time. And like I was saying, I'm, I'm getting a lot weaker. 
uh, okay. with, all my, with my powerlifting right. members. So I'm not sure if maybe that'll change my, change my habits, uh, uh, doing, doing more, trying to do more cardio, even though I hate it, uh, trying to just do more volume instead of going as heavy as possible. Cause at 44, that starts to not, not work as well. Are um, you still home gymming? Is that? Oh yeah. yeah. I, I, I think I've only worked out in like an, like a, maybe like a hotel gym. The last time I worked out in a gym that was my home was the very, very sad gym at the Empress Hotel in Victoria. Oh, in Victoria. I thought you were no, throwing actually, no, 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 you're right. no, I actually, no, I worked, I also at the less, somehow less sad, like, um, whatever coast hotel or whatever it was, gym Whoa, in Nanaimo. Yeah. Uh, and they had a, a bench and a dumbbell rack. So do what you could, um, <laughs> Yeah, so more kind of volume, but like also it's not nearly as fun as lifting as heavy as possible, but it's probably more healthy. More volume, more cardio. Yeah, cardio's just terrible though. No one likes that, right? <laughs> yeah, I guess you, uh, you're doing yeah, F45. Yeah, I'm, uh, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm kind of a cardio guy myself. Yeah, but, that's uh, probably the way to be. It's, that's a healthy way to do it. I gotta try. I gotta try and do more cardio. So maybe that'll be my belief. Check in if I if you'll invite me back by the end of the year. I'll be December like December twenty twenty four. Ask me about my cardio. How my cardio went. <laughs> ask me about my cardio. <laughs> ask, <laughs> have a t shirt. Ask me about my cardio. What uh, what what have you been binge watching? I'm thinking of this Nanaimo trip. But yeah, any any movie or show recommendations? We we just finished the curse. I don't know if you've heard of. Have you heard of the curse? No. So do you know who Nathan Fielder is? Yes. He's Canadian. He had a show You're called The Experiment. Very awkward guy, right? Oh, yeah. yeah. A show called The Experiment, which is. Oh, very I have weird. heard of this show, The Curse. Yeah. 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 So it's, it's not for everyone. It is, it's got, it, the ending is bizarre. The whole show is bizarre, but it's, it's, it's Nathan Fielder, Emma Stone, right. uh, and Benny Safdie, who's a man, you know, it's him and his brother, you know, made Uncut Gems, and he's, he's, he was an Oppenheimer, but anyway, they co wrote and directed it. Uh, if you're into weird stuff, what streaming weird service gets. is this on? It's it's on like Paramount Plus, which I got the free trial. Yeah, and then yeah. you watch <laughs> it, and they're all out now, so you can kind of binge it and then then cancel, uh, which is what I'm planning to do. But yeah, that's that's we just finished it last night. It was uh, it was something. Wow! And I just watched Killers of the Flower Moon over two nights too, which was yeah. Hilarious. I got I'm about an hour and forty five into that. You have yeah. to. My wife have to did it all at once, which really? I couldn't believe without you. Yeah, she was like, I gotta continue. She was, I was wow. falling asleep, but she, yeah, oh, like wow. midnight. I don't know how she did it. It's, honestly, it's, it's like a B B plus. I, the book was great. I read the book, which was fascinating. So I get hard to translate it to a movie. Yeah, and three, it feels like three and a half hours. It's a long, yeah, it's, it's an hour. Did you guys minutes. watch the holdovers? We talked about no, this. No, no, but oh. I'd like to. It's like good. I good. have not yet. Uh, just one BlackBerry. BlackBerry was great. I like Blackberry a lot. Oh, Although I, did, I watched it on Jam, which broke it up into three parts. I don't know if that if that was different than oh, the, I think the it's whole, different than like how it was edited was maybe different. I tried to watch it on Crave, but it was only in French, so it was okay. I uh, I figured that out. Let me try and remember how that worked because it was yeah. in French, but I got it in oh, English. Oh, did you get yeah, English? Yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I ended up getting it in English. I'm trying to remember how. <laughs> well, welcome back to Cisco and Ebert. Um, <laughs> All right. Uh, question number four, favorite band or music? And I, we, I think we should tweak this question a bit. Throw in YouTube. What are, what are you listening to on YouTube or what are you watching on YouTube band wise these days? Oh, um, so what am I watching? Uh, Idols has a new record. So they're, they just dropped a new song yesterday. That's a good video. Uh, I'm going to their, they're, they're coming to Vancouver in May. So oh, no kidding. Wow. Yeah. That's also like the third or fourth Idols reference I've made on this podcast. 
Um, but what I'm listening to every so every Man, that would be a rough concert up oh, close. <laughs> it's gonna be wild. It's gonna be great. Every every week, my sister and my dad and I, uh, someone chooses a word, and then we have to put together an eight song playlist about that word. So like this week, I, my it was my words. I chose the word debut. So it was all songs off of debut albums. And then everyone makes a playlist and we share the playlist and then you can listen to that for the week. Oh, so that's oh. what I'm listening to this week. So like, it's got, it's great. Like my, my dad is, geez, what is he? 68 years old, but his was like arcade fire and Weezer and LCD oh, sound really? system and Daft Punk. So there's a lot of like really good debut albums. Wow. Uh, my sister, had like cat power and like Bjork's first record. Yeah. So it was, it's a really, you know, eclectic playlist. I had like the clash and, Modern Lovers. You ever listened yeah, to the first Modern, Modern Lovers, Lovers record? Yeah. Oh, that's a couple, the best one. Yeah. Well, that's, that's the thing I thought of. It was like that first Modern Lovers record is really their only, <laughs> they're like their only yeah. record, I would say. It's like, it's certainly, it's just packed with good stuff. Uh, and so is the first Violent Femmes record. So that I, I, had, I had a song off that. So Is the first Violent Femmes album the Violent Femmes album? They had more, but that was right. like the one that's that has every hit you Every song you can sing along to, there's, yeah, whether you listen to them or not. Yeah, I think their second record maybe had um, American Music on it, if you know oh, that song, yeah. I think. But, yeah. but the um, first one was a good one. The first okay. one has. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, wait, we got more questions here, don't we? we got Last Walmart. but not least, something that you've purchased for under $1,500 that's had a positive impact on your life uh, recently. Wow. 15, those ribs were pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> Nanaimo ribs. Nanaimo ribs. But something I do if, if I travel now, I, and this is, it sounds like a very lonely activity. Maybe it is. Uh, but every city in BC tends to have like a place that does like smoked barbecue. So like I was in like Vernon and Nanaimo and also just find a place that has like real like barbecue and I'll just go buy ribs and <laughs> eat them in my hotel room by myself. Um and that's under $1,500 for that experience, yeah. <laughs> even the hotel room included. Very good. Uh, <laughs> I feel like we've pumped this before, but you guys are always putting out tons of useful information at the BCREA. You're very big on LinkedIn. I'm getting more into LinkedIn these days. I feel like less. I'm getting less enthusiastic about X, formerly mm-hmm. known as Twitter, and more enthusiastic about LinkedIn, where yeah. you're very active. But how can people find out more about what you're doing? Yeah, you can follow me on LinkedIn. Uh, I think that's... One of the, I mean, it's, there's a lot of weird self-promotion, but if you get basically mute everything, like some of the conversation's good or you get like generally just interesting stuff, uh, I try and put some interesting stuff out there. Sometimes I'll just like, if I think of an idea, I'll float it on LinkedIn first and like, does anyone say this is terrible? And then it might turn into something later, but yeah, otherwise go to our our website, which we're, I think revamping because it's kind of hard to find our economics page. If you can find it, uh, (laughs) you can subscribe to all of our stuff. We put out a lot of you know original research plus just stuff like we have a I think one went out yeah. this morning or it was yeah, it we yesterday. Have inflation yeah. inflation came inflation. out today so yeah. we have a like we have an email so if like stuff like that comes out yeah. we'll, we'll send an email uh, it's a good email list to be on for sure yeah we got our forecast will come in your inbox we've got uh, some research coming up ideas this year about you know potential flipping tax in BC I think we're going to analyze that uh, and there's you know we're going to do some more stuff on supply especially around like do we have enough labor how much labor would we need to, to sort of increase supply? So that's Do you have any stuff. insight into the flipping tax and when you think it's going to be coming? Not that I can share without breaking a non-disclosure <laughs> agreement that I signed. Uh, okay. <laughs> so it's coming. I mean, it's, obviously like the premier's talked about yeah, yeah. a flipping tax. So the fact that the premier has multiple times mentioned a flipping tax 
pretty good indication that they're going to do it, yeah. how it's going to look, what kind of exemptions there will be. Those are sort of the, the outstanding issues. Who better than a former flipper? <laughs> All right, we'll leave it there. Brendan, how can people find No, no, no. We <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Thanks for coming All down. Right, thanks for having Yeah, <laughs> thank thanks you. for coming down. Thank you. Take care. So there you have it, folks, our discussion with Brendan Augmentson, chief economist at BCREA and all around uh, great guy. All around great, great guy. Great taste in all things culture. I feel like that's a generational thing. You and Brendan and I, we're all probably months apart age-wise. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I you're feel, probably right. I feel like that's just like we all kind of grew up in the same kind of scene. And it was in a different and it, and it was a glorious time. It, it was, was a glorious time in the world. It, it felt a lot easier than uh, growing up these days. <laughs> no kidding. It, so great having Brendan on the show. So many takeaways. I feel like we ran long enough though, Adam. So maybe we should just say we have VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com. Yes. This is our website where all things real estate related live. We are doing a ton of work on the site. It's getting better all the time. Head over to VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com for things like all the show synopses, but also, of course, the live wire. This is our weekly mailer. We send out stats, different types of stats, pre-sale VIP access for certain projects around the Metro Vancouver area. Deal of the month. There's just no reason why you shouldn't be on the live wire. There really is no reason you shouldn't be signing up to everything on that site. Well, it's, it's all secondly, valuable. Let's, let's talk private client services because I feel like we kind of disparaged it a little bit in the intro and it was an accident let's because... Hope, let's hope it's not listening. Because yeah. here's the thing. If you don't have PCS, you are standing still while the rest of us power walk by. You get sold prices, days on market. You basically get realtor level information for free. It's available at your fingertips over at VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com. You just got to click buy with us. This is the best time to have PCS. It's always a good time to have PCS. But what you want to be doing is monitoring what's happening between list price and sale price because you're going to see those sale prices in real time. Also, if you're kind of the person that's looking for a deal and you want to see something first, this is usually updated about 36 to 72 hours before public MLS. So you're going to see listings usually even before the photos are on. Like yeah. that's the biggest thing is a lot of people reach out and say like, why doesn't this have photos? Yeah, and then send me photos, the photos eventually populate. But really it's happening. It, you're seeing it at the same time that we're seeing it. So super exciting. You set a criteria once and then you're set. Matt, how can people get in touch if they want to get in touch if with you? If they want to talk about that or anything else, you can try me at 778-847-2854 or matt at vancouverrealestatepodcast.com. Or if you want to try me, 778-866-4574 or adam at vancouverrealestatepodcast.com. And of course, we got that Kokomo line info at vancouverrealestatepodcast.com. We'll have a great week. And uh, yeah, thanks for listening. Another fantastic episode coming next week. Absolutely. Take care. Two thousand faces for radio. Subscribe today.